0: Welcome to the wonderful world of wine, exploring all things wine with you. We are your hosts, Mark Lenzi and Kim Simone, and you can find us on Facebook at the wonderful world of wine. everyone and welcome to the wonderful world of wine continuing our december holiday edition and today is the New Year's edition. And as Mark likes to call me, he likes to call me the bubbly queen. So we get to talk all about one of my favorite subjects today. We get to talk about sparkling wine. Yeah. So I want to say thank you, Mark, for (laughs) having the idea that we should do an entire show on sparkling wine. And I'm
1: just reminded you, Kim, we have 30 minutes. So I know you can talk (laughs) for hours on this subject and... I'm going to keep you in line.
0: I don't have any champagne open in front of me, though. So, I mean. Yeah,
1: me either. We know, will, we though. we a
0: bottles, then I could definitely go on for hours and hours and hours. But okay, we'll keep it to a half an hour.
1: Yeah. We want everyone to uh, hear our tips on the sparkling wine and enjoy New Year's and ring out this year.
0: Yeah, we let's definitely say goodbye need to, do that. to 2020 and hello to 2021 and hopefully it'll be a better year for everyone. I know this has been a difficult year in so many ways for so many people, whether it is financially or health-wise. There might not feel like there should be a lot to celebrate, but if you do feel like celebrating and that we hope everyone has something that they can look at that was positive this past year, uh, even amongst all the turmoil, we want to give you some tips on on those bubbly wines that you can pop open regardless of the price point that you might be in and some tips and some safety pointers and all those wonderful things that go along with those bottles of bubbles.
1: Yeah, and this is a big celebration day for you, the the bubbly day. And there's so much we should talk to our listeners about, Kim. And I, we were talking what kind of topics to hit on for this sparkling show. And I think the first thing we should talk about is history. Because lately, and I know when we do a sparkling class, we'd like to talk, touch upon a certain gentleman famous in the champagne world that I think it's too much credit Kim and I just wanted to know what you thought when you hear the history and about Dom Perignon what you think about him
0: So it's very interesting you know that's a name that people know as far as a label of Champagne, a wine brand, if you will, but I don't think a lot of people understand that Dom Pérignon was a person. Dom meaning he was a priest, he was a he was a, a a monk, and many many hundreds of years ago, he had this sort of mythology built up around him that he was the creator of bubbly wine. There is a um, a quote attributed to him after he tasted his first bottle of sparkling wine said, I am tasting the stars. But this is, like I said, it's a little bit more of like a legend. It's a little yeah. more of this like wine mythology and not necessarily wine history. Was he an important persona when it comes to wine history? Absolutely. Did he invent sparkling wine? No, he did not. He kind See, of a lot stole of listeners are like,
1: What are you talking about, Kim? I you know, didn't invent- yes. To,
0: so so Dom Perignon is a bottle of very expensive champagne that's like $250 or so. You know, it's very, very good. But Dom Perignon was also a person.
1: A monk. Um, and when he said that famous quote, you wonder if it was he was probably tasting someone else's sparkling <laughs> wine, right? That's a really good point. And we always like to say when we do classes, Kim, that we, we feel, like I feel, that he probably stole the method for for sparkling wine. And the little village in the south of France, he visited, he found them making this sparkling wine and then he brought the idea back to the Champagne region. So I had to look up because I was trying to think of when he lived. Don Perignon was 1638 to 1715. He died in 1715. So the region south that he visited is famous for making sparkling wine first in 1531. So hundreds of years before he was even born.
0: I know it's interesting because we have this association of champagne with quality sparkling wine, but the region of champagne did not necessarily start out trying to make that style of wine. They were originally known as an area that had a lot of markets for cloth. So they were a cloth market. And the general uh, consensus now is that what a lot of these cloth merchants would do would be they would sell some of their wine or even give away some of their wine as a promotional product in order to get people to buy their cloth. And that is how the wines of the region of Champagne came to be quite so popular is because they were associated with this market area of really, really good quality cloth. And then eventually the wines came to be very famous too. The sparkling wines that you know eventually became associated with Champagne were actually invented in the south of France. And they still make those bubbles down there these days. So the region in the south of France that we now believe that Dom Perignon visited and uh, took the technology from there up to Champagne it was called Lumu, And it is in the, the southern Mediterranean region of France. And they. They still make quite quality sparkling wines down there. So you can find wines that are bubbly and made in the traditional method, or sometimes you can even find them in the earlier method, which is called Ancestral, which still has a little bit of like the sediment in the bottom of the bottle. They're very kind of rustic, but there's a lot of still really good quality sparkling wine from, as we've spoken in previous shows, from all over France, but specifically from the south of France. We do have some really nice quality wines. So, you know, if you are looking for an alternative to a uh, to a champagne or to a Prosecco or to something from California, definitely check out those regions in the south of France, particularly uh, Limoux. It's it's spelled L-I-M-O-U-X, I believe, because they have some really wonderful sparkling wines down there. And you get a little bit of that sort of sense of history and a little taste of history where these wines really were invented and have been produced and consumed for um, hundreds and hundreds of years.
1: So the story I heard, Kim, is Don Pagnon goes to this village and visits them, discovers this style of wine. And some say, even though he was a monk, he had his way with the women down there. And then he went back to Champagne region. And now the people in the Champagne region are getting so good with their wine that people are saying keep your textiles we want the wine from mm-hmm. you so that's why all the wine houses then started forming and that was like the 1700s
0: yeah 1700s it was right around the time of the American Revolution i always find it to be something totally fascinating to look at the timelines and to see when these champagne houses were established and you know when you study history and especially when you study so I, I studied ancient history when i was in college so <laughs> that's always been an area that i've i've always been very, very interested in. So I have no trouble thinking back like, oh, you know, 2000 years, 2200 years. Yeah, no problem. So to think that it's like, oh, you know, it was only 250, 300 years ago, if that, that these really famous champagne houses were established. And we, we kind of think of things like Moet, and Veuve Clicot and Perrier-Jouet, you know, we we think of these names and we think of these places as having been around for so long. And, you know, yes, they've been around for 250 years, but then I kind of like to think, well, oh, they've only been around for 250 years. It's not like they've been around for a thousand years. Right. So, you know, I think it's kind of fun to think that, this style of wine that is such an integral part of celebration and the living the life, like having the lifestyle, was not really anything that existed 300 years ago, so... And That's kind of one of those things I, I really find fascinating about history and about the human condition is, you know, these things change and, they, and new things get invented, and yet it becomes such a part of our world that sometimes we don't think about how long they've actually been around for.
1: Yeah, and I don't want our listeners to, to get the impression that Don Perignon didn't do anything good. For the sparkling wine champagne industry, he actually has a lot of credit with improving or using corks for the for the sparkling wine. He mm-hmm. did a lot to improve the second fermentations of the sparkling wine. So he doesn't really get credit for that stuff, though, as much as being the inventor, which is totally not true. So right, it's so funny. <laughs> yeah, and
0: people <laughs> like he, are he gets shocked. credit for the thing he didn't do. Yeah, but then nobody remembers the things that he actually did that, do that so. were really
1: good things that he improved yeah. on at the time. So so that's a little history. You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine, and we are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. If you'd like to get more information about Kim, please go on her, her website at vinitaswineworks.com. If you'd like to get more information about myself, please go on Franklin Liquors. And you can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. We'd like any questions or comments that you would have. Welcome back. And today we're talking all things sparkling wine as we're getting ready to ring in a new year. We've talked a lot about the history and our buddy Don Perignon, Kim. And now I think let's move on to a little maybe safety tips about the sparkling wine because I think a lot of people, it might not be something they're opening every day. So you have to be aware of what this sparkling wine is. and how to be safe with it and how to open it? How would you Absolutely. like to start with so, that?
0: So a lot of times when I think people are starting to either learn about wine or have some bottles in your house and and learn to open them, we get a lot of questions about why is the cork different? We do see this mushroom shaped cork that comes out of a bottle of sparkling wine versus just the, the cylinder cork that we have for a bottle of still wine. And that is because a bottle of sparkling wine is under so much pressure that they have to have a special, not only a special type of cork, but also a thicker glass in order to hold the Pressure in inside the bottle of wine. So, different types of sparkling wine are under different degrees of pressure. Prosecco is a little bit less than champagne. Cava, champagne, a lot of sparkling wines from California are all made in what we call the traditional method. So, they all have a fairly high amount of pressure inside that bottle of wine. So carbon dioxide has been dissolved in, in that wine, which is what leads to the bubble, but there's also loads and loads of pressure in that bottle. So you want to be careful when you're opening that bottle of wine because the cork can shoot out really fast if you're not being very careful with it and depending on how cold the, that bottle of um, sparkling wine or champagne is the cork may be easier or a little bit more difficult to get out because the the temperature of the wine impacts the pressure inside the bottle Now for people who don't like do a lot of sciency thing you know that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense but just trust us when you have a warm, room temperature bottle of bubbles, that cork is going to come out a whole lot faster and it's going to foam up and it's going to make a big mess as opposed to if you have a very, very well chilled bottle of sparkling wine, it's going to be a little bit safer and you're going to lose less wine. So tip number one, chill down your bottle of sparkling wine very, very well. Either leave it outside if it's a nice cold day like we've been having or, you know, keep it in your refrigerator for quite a while because you want that wine as cold as possible because it's actually a safety issue. So the colder you have that wine, the less I don't I don't want to say danger. No, <laughs> because it's... I hate talking about what we do as dangerous, but it's a little bit safer if you open a bottle of sparkling wine that has been very very chilled.
1: Well, we don't want to scare people away. No, I but know. <laughs> you, but you, you're exactly right, Kim. It is very dangerous because I always like to give the example. Think of your car tire. the The tire is on your car. The pressure inside the sparkling wine is two to three times more generally than your car tire. So think about releasing all that pressure on your on your car tire is what you're doing in this bottle. So there's a procedure where, like you said, chill it down. Number one, and and people will notice. You talked about the mushroom cork. There's a capsule on top of there wired down and turned on there for a reason because it's holding that cork in that bottle. If those right. weren't on there, they'd be shooting out all over the place and never mm-hmm. even be on the shelf. So and by the way, Kim, we always talk about the turns on the on the capsule, the wire. <laughs> six turns. Six turns. The big I think it's a BOD trivia thing all the time. Always six turns on that wire. So fill right. so,
0: it down. Uh, I'm glad that you brought up the the um the cage on the the bottle of wine, because that's another thing that is so very different from a regular bottle of still wine. We don't have that metal cage on there. And like you said, it's another safety precaution because otherwise corks would be flying all over the place. And luckily, technologically, we've gotten to the point where there are very few bottles of sparkling wine that are going to burst on the shelf. They burst at the wineries all the time, which I think is like wild. (laughs) But by the time they get to the distributor or the retailer or your house, the glass is not going to bust open, but you do need to worry sometimes about when you open up that bottle of wine. So that's why that extra safety feature of that metal cage on top of the cork is there.
1: Yeah. And be careful. (laughs) Now you have this nice chilled bottle. Mm -hmm. Uh, You have to loosen the Six turns on the cage, loosen the cage. Then you want to keep your hand or your thumb on that cork. Absolutely. Because it it can release at any time once that is off. Always recommend keeping it at a 45 degree angle, facing away from your spouse because you don't want to hurt anybody. Or
0: anybody else. Well, spouse, yeah, yeah. guests, especially children, the spouse. Pets. <laughs> <laughs> Ceilings. <laughs> Windows. My husband In. has a wonderful story that he loves to tell about once I knocked out a light bulb with a um with a bottle of wine. I was opening a bottle of champagne and I, it popped and it um it flew and it hit a lamp and, <laughs> and it knocked out the light bulb and it kept on going. So he oh, loves yeah. telling that story about it's,
1: me. We have heart I, I always get nervous open we've done it so many times but I always always get nervous. I have horror stories like you where I've done presentations and I blew them up in people's kitchens where the pressure was just too warm Mm -hmm. and it just foamed and went everywhere. So anyway, we we hold that the 45 degrees. And then when you're taking that cork out, you don't want to turn the cork. You want to hold the cork and turn and twist the bottle And you'll find it's much easier because a lot of times those mushroom corks are so hard to get out. Use the leverage of turning the bottle. And then depending on how much you want to celebrate, you can easily, you know, pull that out. So you just get a little pop or you can just pull it out fast and get a huge pop. You know, the the fizz is going to be impacted how you release that gas with that cork coming out. So how do you like popping the cork there, Kim? Um.
0: I like do a, a nice- little I do a little bit of a pop but I almost always will try to put a towel over the cork as well.
1: Yeah, good point. For
0: for a couple of different reasons. It'll give you a tighter grip on that cork because sometimes even if you've chilled down your bottle really well and still got some good pressure in there, sometimes it is Kind of difficult to get that cork out, but if you've got a towel over there, it gives you a little bit more grip and it's a little bit of insurance if you have some spill. So just having a having a towel, um, even just a, you know regular old kitchen towel is perfectly fine. And like you said, keep your hand always on the cork and twist from the bottom, and then you can sort of feel how the cork is coming out of the bottle, whether it's coming out really quickly or whether it's taking a little bit more effort. And then you can determine if you wanted to have that nice, you know, popping sound, or if you want it to just give you a little bit of a as it opens up. So I have to tell um, you,
1: Kim, the last few times I've opened a sparkling, those corks, they give you a workout and I have to get that little kitchen jar opener, the rubber thing. yeah, And I really have to, to get a grip on the cork because some of them are in there. So really, I have to ask really, you. Really
0: so what what were those? Because I don't tend to have that problem with say I've champagne, yep. but I have that problem prosecco. with prosecco yes. all the time.
1: Yes. Yeah. What is going on?
0: So I think part of it is that prosecco doesn't quite have the pressure in the bottle that champagne does. So I it's mean, you're talking about the, um, the car much. tire. Yeah. yeah. So that whole car tire thing, which um, makes sense when you're talking about champagne, it's only about half that for Prosecco. So you don't quite have the amount of carbonation. So therefore you don't have the same kind of pressure inside the bottle. And I think it's difficult. Uh, I often have trouble getting a cork out of a bottle of champagne, uh, a bottle of Prosecco. Yeah. You know, there's not too many times that I need to go to the muscle in the house and say, can you please get this out? But I have sometimes.
1: And I hate to say it, but on the the less expensive bottles, I seem to have more problems. Yeah. So that's curious. Yeah, that's interesting. I agree with you completely. Nope. So we we talked about, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I
0: was just going to say, you know, that you and I have had the same experience with probably very similar bottles that leads to me thinking that, you know, this isn't just you or me, that this is very typical of either less expensive bottles of Prosecco or, you know, like we just said, because it has lower pressure inside the bottle.
1: Yeah, I get I get so embarrassed because here I bring home a nice spot <laughs> in line for my family and I'm I'm turning all red and I'm can't get the stupid. Do you out. get
0: embarrassed in front of your family? Like,
1: oh yeah. my family will just yeah. like laugh at me. Yeah. <laughs> It's embarrassing. No, it's because you, you're making the point with telling our listeners and people how to open it, and then it doesn't happen. The
0: way it's supposed to happen. It never does. Right. It's like when we it's choose just, a bad wine. It's like, oh, my God, I'm so embarrassed.
1: Oh, I'm glad we had the same thing. And I hope I don't want to steer our listeners off of celebrating with Prosecco, but just be aware because it's tight. You might have to, you know, a little extra yeah, muscle. A little bit more work. But that It'll, doesn't it, do necessarily mean. use a mean... corkscrew. Remember that. But yeah. big point there. Don't put the corkscrew. Thread it into a champagne coal. Yeah. And not really, do like,
0: I, I can't stress enough, like, don't let your guard down when you're yes. opening these bottles, like you might be having a conversation with someone, please don't ever point it in your face because you never know which of those bottles is going to just pop, you know, the cork is going to pop right out and which of them are going to give you more difficulty. So it's one of those things that regardless of what you're doing and regardless of what you're opening, if you're opening a bottle of sparkling wine, please just be careful. (laughs) Just be careful because I've almost gotten myself injured numerous times just by not paying attention. It's like, you know, when, when people cook, you know, we use sharp knives and so we chop things and we always have to be aware of what we're doing. And it's the same thing for a bottle of bubbles. So
1: be celebratory,
0: but always be aware that this is something that needs to have your full attention while you're opening it.
1: I've had times where I couldn't get it out and I said, I'm not messing with it. I actually put it outside because I, I didn't want to, not attend to it or leave it unattended in the house. So I threw it (laughs) outside. Yeah.
0: Away from people.
1: So now can we open the sparkling? Here's another thing. I think we have to tell the listeners, you don't drink the whole thing. You don't want to just insert any old cork in there.
0: You don't drink the whole thing.
1: Well, yeah, um, look who I'm talking to. For our listeners (laughs) and myself, do not put a normal cork in there. Because remember, there's still pressure in that bottle. And chances are you're going to put it in your fridge and you're going to hear pop and it's going to blow it out because it still has pressure in there. So they have special corks that reseal and clip onto the lip of the Yep sparkling wine bottles and it's good to keep you know one
0: or two of those around the house and and they work really really well and they work for a variety of sparkling wine so whether it's prosecco or champagne or even something like sparkling cider it tends to be in a similar uh, type of bottle where the the neck and the opening to the bottle is built the same way as a bottle of champagne so really anything like that that has some some bubble to it you can use these closures for
1: yeah, same safety with those sparkling ciders, the sparkling non-alcoholic mm-hmm. wines. Same safety procedures should take take effect there. So, Kim, we talked about history, talked about safety, we talked about opening. We have to talk about the sparkling wine. And first off, champagne is one of the biggest things I see all the time. People want to celebrate New Year's. They want a special bottle, and they come in and they say. I want a champagne, but then they don't want to pay champagne prices or they don't necessarily understand what's the difference between champagne and all the other styles of sparkling wine in the world. So why don't you give our listeners a few examples of sparkling wine? Sure. So
0: in this is when you're talking about the word champagne with a capital C, you know, it's kind of tough because champagne is a region of France that has associated its name with the highest end sparkling wine in the world. So when you see the word champagne on a bottle of sparkling wine, it is from the region of Champagne with a few exceptions for some producers from California. But I like to view Champagne with a capital C as kind of like a brand. We talk about, I hate to say this, but like Kleenex and tissues, you know, those are products, but they are also brand names. So Champagne has come kind of become its own brand, regardless of who the producer is. So you could talk about Dom Perignon, you can talk about Perrier-Jouet, you can talk about Tattinger. Those are all champagnes that have houses and vineyards within the Champagne region of France. So therefore, they're allowed to put the word Champagne on their label. These are wines that you will rarely ever see in a store for under $35 a bottle. That doesn't mean that there aren't other things with bubbles out there in the world that are um, delicious and made the same exact way, but they're not allowed to call themselves champagne. So, in order for something to technically be a champagne with a capital C, it needs to be from the Champagne region of France. It needs to be made from a specific blend of grapes. It has to have Chardonnay in there, Pinot Noir, and a lesser grape. Called Pinot Meunier. And it needs to follow a lot of very specific uh, production rules and regulations in order to be called champagne. There's still a lot of it out there. What what were we talking about er earlier in the summer where there was uh, going to be production reductions of champagne being produced? But it was still billions of dollars worth of champagne being produced. So there's a lot of champagne out there in the world. And a lot of those brands, like I just mentioned, are readily available. The Veuve Clicquot's, the Moet Chandon's, those are, um, you know, there's a lot of champagne, champagne, champagne <laughs> out there in the world. But then there are also sparkling wines from a lot of other places that may or may not make their bubbles in the same way as they make them in champagne. So a lot of producers from California may or may not make their sparkling wine like champagne. They're pres- Seco is super popular these days. It's not made the same way as champagne, but you still end up with a wine with bubbles. Cava from Spain is another one that is very, very popular and is also made the same way that champagne is made, but with different grape varieties. We can go on and on and on and on because there are other ones from other countries. You know, They make them in Argentina, they make them in South Africa, they make them in other regions of France. So there are a lot of sparkling wines out there bubbly wines that are delicious and are really reflective of the places that they're made but might not necessarily carry the champagne name on their label
1: a lot of stuff out there and a lot of good values out there if you if you can't afford that 30 40 champagne like you can every night you can go with prosecco for 10 to to 30 dollar range you can go with the cava the same 10 to, to 20 dollar range And they're fantastic sparkling wines, especially New Year's. A lot of times I see, Kim, as people, they just want to pop something. They want that celebratory. So they go in with the Andres and and the inexpensive Prosecco because they might not even like sparkling wine. Heaven Mm -hmm. forbid, right, Kim? But they want (laughs) to celebrate. So there are so many choices out there. But if you want to enjoy something nice, there's a lot of you mentioned, you know, Prosecco. They have higher level of Prosecco. There's French Accorda from Italy, which is mm-hmm. beautiful, sparkling wine. I
0: was going to mention French
1: Accorda. And Germany makes beautiful sparkling wines. So I, there's so much you can celebrate with. Did you have any tips, Kim, for our listeners on stuff you, you wanted to you know, sing out? I know you, you like uh, Alsatian. You always talk about the Alsatian uh, rosé so sparkling.
0: I kind of have some, um, I think, general price points for different categories of sparkling wines from all over the world that if people want to be a little more either paying attention to their budgets or wanting to get the best bang for their buck, if you, want to do something in the under $20 range, but still have something that is really tasty and very celebratory, like you just said, Prosecco absolutely is the way to go. Even though it is probably the biggest brand out there, LaMarca Prosecco with that light blue label is, is quite delicious. And you know, I don't usually sing the praises of really, really big brands, but I really like the LaMarca. So that is it's a very fun, safe bet, really delicious. There are other pro- producers of Prosecco out there that are kind of either under 20 or right in that $20 price range. I love Adami. Um, Carpene Malvolti makes a really wonderful Prosecco. So there's a lot of good Prosecco, kind of $18, $19, $20 a bottle. You don't have to break the bank to have a good bottle of bubbles. If you want to do something a little bit more than that, like you were just saying, those Cremants and especially the Cremants from Alsace, there's one that you carry in your store, Mark, that's a rose that is from Lucienne Albrecht that I absolutely adore and that I always keep a couple bottles in my house if I need something to celebrate with. It's pink. It's made from Pinot Noir. It's gorgeous. It has lots of like flavors of strawberry and raspberry and is so easy to drink and is really really just absolutely wonderful. There are French Accordas from Italy, like you were saying, and other Cremants from other parts of Italy. Those are great wines if you want to stay in kind of the $18 to $30 range, but still again want something that is great quality, not going to break the bank. If that is a comfortable price range for you for something celebratory, absolutely go with a French Accorda or a Cremant. Then we get up to the the range where maybe you want to splurge on a bottle of champagne. There are so many good things out there that have been around for hundreds of years, like we've been talking, but not just from champagne. You know, there are some really excellent bottles from California. There are some good bottles out of England these days, uh, which I've really found to be quite pleasant and very much in the style of champagne, but you can't beat, I think, the, really the the old standbys. So somebody like Tattinger or Moet or my favorite, Billecart Salmon, which makes a little bit of a higher end champagne, but they make beautiful Chardonnay champagnes. So I think once you get to that $50 price point, and if that's where you're comfortable being, there's really not a lot that's going to let you down. So there are really some really great house style champagnes champagnes from a number of different producers, depending on where you shop, um, that they're going to have that sort of citrusy flavor, a lot of little, like baked bread, kind of yeasty sorts of smells and flavors. And, you know, that great, fine bubble to them and just wonderful bottles of wine for a celebration.
1: I'm so happy you got to talk about all this, Kim, and you wait all year to talk about all these. <laughs> you know, I mean, we We hit a lot of sparkling stories all throughout the year, but I mean this is this is the biggie coming up new years and so many options for our listeners out there I hope you can hear the passion in Kim's voice how she likes the bubbles and you you get to kind sort of enjoy it this New Year's. So I think we we covered a lot. We could so much more. We could cover Kim I styles know. and types.
0: Thirty and, minutes is pretty short to yeah. talk about all these this things. So much
1: information. But I hope I mean we I think we got all the things yeah. through to our listeners of uh, be safe, uh, enjoy it. There's a lot out there to enjoy. Kim, I want to wish you a happy, healthy New Year, and to all our listeners. Thank you, Mark. You too. To uh, doing this again next year in 2021 yeah. and hopefully we'll be drinking some wine again soon
0: yeah that's right and hopefully 2021 will give us all sorts of new adventures and i hope that we are tasting wine together at some point in 2020 mark and to our listeners happy new year stay safe stay home enjoy and be with your loved ones and we hope to be talking to you again next
1: year yeah we'll put that sparkling wine
0: that's right Thank you for listening to The Wonderful World of Wine. We have been your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine, and we would love to hear your questions and comments. We'll take them and possibly even answer your questions on air. You can find past episodes of our show on SoundCloud and iTunes, and we will visit with you again next week. Cheers.